Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, I usually tell you all about Sweet Recording, but today, my producer, my friend, and the owner of Sweet Recording, Joe Gangemi, is going to take a little time to tell you all about this wonderful studio. Take it away, Joe. Thanks, Coop. Hi, everyone. This is Joe from Sweet Recording. That's S-U-I-T-E. At Sweet Recording, we help brands and businesses to launch their own podcasts and YouTube channels. We then help to leverage that podcast to be repurposed for your marketing, social media content, video clips, blog posts, and more. Um, we handle recording, production, and all the technicals so you can focus on having great conversations. So if you're interested, you can contact me anytime at hello at sweetrecording.com. Again, that's S-U-I-T-E. Take it away, Coop. Thanks, Joe. That was very good. Joe was a little nervous today. He said, he, I never bring him on air. And I said, I got to bring you on air because we want to hear more about Sweet Recording. And the website is sweetrecording.com. And right. uh, so we have a great show today. There are uh, people I've met through networking. And our first guest from CFB Promotional Products is my friend, Linda Milano. How you doing, Linda? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Steve. And then we have uh, someone who I met for the first time in person uh, this summer. I'd known her for like two years. I met her at an event at Bankroll from Calamos Investments. It's Eileen Ward. How are you doing, Eileen? Hey, Steve. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. And finally, someone I run into all the time from Telecorp, <laughs> uh, Telecorp Technologies. It's Deb Jennings. How are you doing, Deb? Good morning, Steve. Nice to have you. Nice to be on. So, uh, Linda, and we're, we're going to go around the room here. Linda, tell us a little about what you do and your company or whatever you want to talk about so they know who you are. Well, I am Linda, the owner of CFB Promotional Products, and I help businesses with creative marketing tools. So most people think pens, mugs, T-shirts. Yes, that's what ultimately we deliver and, and thousands of other types of products. But we try to really understand our clients needs what they're trying to accomplish who their target audience is and come up with a promotion that's going to help them stay top of mind so we're more of a boutique style consulting type of firm that's really going to give you um, some great promotional products to promote your brand and message okay how about you eileen tell us about you so I've been at Calamos Investments for about four months now, but we partner, we're an investment firm offering mutual funds, ETFs, interval funds, USITs, any of the building blocks that go into creating a portfolio that's supposed to be battle tested and time tested. But personally, I get to liaise with financial advisors, wealth managers, chief investment officers, research analysts, the folks who do a lot of the diligence on the underlying product. So it's a pretty technical um, job, but at the end of the day, it's all about serving their clients. I'm simply a intermediary in a supply chain between Wall Street and the end investor to make sure that anybody who's worked really hard for their money over their lifetime or at any stage of life is given the, the opportunity to have the best outcome that meets their unique needs. Okay. How about you, Deb? Um, I'm from Telecorp and we're a full service phone and IT company. We can help you with any of your technology needs, whether it's cybersecurity, cloud and internet solutions, VoIP phones, or data cabling. I want to start off with it because this always fascinates me, the answers, because during the pandemic, a lot of people changed professions, people changed jobs, people just go completely different. I want to know how you got to the position you're at now. What brought it about? And we're going to start with you, Linda. How did you start CFB? I know the story. It's a great story, but tell everyone how CFB came to be. 
So I've been in the industry for over 25 years, and I actually have a custom print and packaging background, which separates me from the online entities that just do um, pens and mugs and t-shirts, that kind of stuff. But in 2012, after the first big like recession, um, I was laid off from a job that I absolutely loved. And I quickly went to a much larger company, but it was the bad, like it was a horrible fit. And after six months, um, they laid me off. But during that six months, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So I was really torn emotionally between at a job that I really didn't like, but also um, personally with wanting to spend time with my dad. So I took some time off, spent time taking him to the doctors and and doing a bunch of um, bad daughter time. And he just kept saying, you should start your own business. You should be your own boss. You're very good at what you do. And in typical daughter fashion, I brushed him off like that. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, fast forward to January, 2014, dad passed away and he left my sister and I a small life insurance policy. After all was said and done, we probably had like a few thousand dollars to each of us. And the day the check came, I was tearing it up and my husband grabbed it from me and said, we're going to put it in the bank and, you know, you'll do something to honor your dad and you'll know when it's the right thing. So a couple months later, I started interviewing. I had gotten past the grieving stage and I interviewed for a couple of different positions and the week leading into Memorial Day, I was offered three different jobs. One was within the same industry, um, but it was only 10 hours a week. One was um, a completely different industry was construction, perfect on paper, 10 minutes from home, money was good, everything seemed great, um, but something in my gut was telling me no. And then there was another job, I don't even remember what it was. Um, and after a, a long weekend of soul searching, I remember calling the owner back for the 10 hour job week within the industry. And I asked them to meet with me again. And we sat in debt for Panera, and I asked him, why should I work for you when I could start my own company? And that was my eureka moment. That was my light bulb moment. And all those conversations with dad come flooding back. And, you know, fast forward almost 10 years now, I guess I made the right decision and dad was right. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I was at that Deadford Panera. They don't have self-serve because I, I originally got that, that <laughs> Sips Unlimited Sips for five bucks a month. And I, I get the self-serve and I was like oh my god it's so weird but anyway Eileen how about you how how did you end up at the position you're at now because I knew you from your old jump that's where I met you before this position yes I had to do a lot of uh networking when I was in wealth management myself when I was liaising with high net worth families individuals entrepreneurs that was when you and I came together I was somewhat of an entrepreneur myself in that moment during a pandemic where I think we all really linked arms and said, how can we help each other through this really challenging time where we can't establish trust, rapport, and mutual understanding in person, which is clearly the best way to establish connectivity. It was such a hard time um, when we were making friends in 2020, but um, I'm a little bit guilty of, I'm from New York originally, when you think of Wall Street, you think of New York. So I 
just have the regional like location um, of having been raised uh, in Northern New Jersey and New York. And my dad was in the business. So a lot of take your daughter to work day and my mom and my sister are in healthcare, which I think is God's work. And I really appreciate um, like their function, but I'm a little mathy. And when I graduated college in 08, it was just not a good year to join a Wall Street firm. So I had to wait my turn. Um, and luckily, eventually, Goldman Sachs was interested in hiring somebody who was good at talking on the phone. Um, you know, when they interviewed me, I said, I've been talking on the phone since I'm nine years old. I'm really good at it. I would love to do it for you. Um, and so that is kind of how I got my start in financial services. And um, I've sat on both sides of the table. Um, I'm a consultant now. I started as a consultant. I pivoted to the advisor side for two years, which is where we befriended one another. So I've walked a mile in my client's shoes. I really try to lead with an empathetic approach because we have our job that feeds us. And then we have more to life than our job, right? I mean, my client's goals, their success is predicated on getting their investors to their goals. So this is like the most human sensitive business, I think, um, there really is out there. I mean, if you've been through the pandemic, if you had to close your doors as a business owner, like we've been through this emotional roller coaster in the last five years. And then, you know, my job in itself is pretty technical. Um, so I really try to have a relationship. I've got to be, you know, in the, the more technical, uh, capability set, but I, was recently recruited. I have LinkedIn to thank for that. So I, you know, I know we all try really hard to elevate our brand and our awareness. I think you do an amazing job of that, Steve. You're always posting. You're always engaging. Um, actually, I know the same for for you, Deb and Linda. You're all, both incredible on LinkedIn, and um, that's you know where I credit being recruited recently. And I'm just thrilled to be with an organization that has a history back to the '70s. Right, you're in in our business. Um, when you're representing what I represent, you're, you know, a reflection of your track record. And luckily we have some really nice long track records I get to represent as I build and bolster my relationships, which is very rewarding. That's awesome. You know, and anytime, anytime you want to compliment any of us, feel free to feel free to compliment <laughs> us. That's okay. Now, Deb, you're, you've had a crazy transition too. And I want to, yeah. I want to hear this because I, when I met you, I met you at, at Kevin DeDuke's dunking tank that I was actually sitting in. Um, <laughs> Tell me, tell everyone about your, your transition. Well, I was a teacher for 20 years and never, ever thought I would not be a teacher. And for years, Tim has always said, oh, come work with me. It would be great. And I always thought, mm, I don't think that would be great. I'm not sure about that. Like, I, I just never thought it would work being together all day and all night it would be a lot. So, and I love teaching. I never thought I'd leave, but covid change things. And it was um, difficult because I had to be in school and he was going to work and I was around a lot of people who, you know, may have had, or th there was just a lot of nervousness about bringing COVID home and having it go with Tim. And he, cause he had to run his business. So if it was choice between my job and his job, it was his job, not mine. <laughs> so I couldn't teach anymore. And uh, I, I stayed home for about a year and he kept bugging me, come work, come work with me. And I said, all right, I'll try it. What do I have to do? And he said, well, just, you just need to talk to people. And I'm like, oh, I'm good at that. I can talk to people. 
And, um, and that was it. And it honestly has been great. I never thought it would be as good as it is. So it's, it was a, it was a good thing at the time. I was very nervous and I was sad to leave teaching, but it has been a great thing. So now, I'm going to ask a question now that I want to, I'm going to answer it first because you, you may <laughs> want to think about this, but I, I want to ask, you know, why you're good at what you do. Like me, I'm a good interviewer because I listen. Okay. That's one. Two, I prepare and research, but I don't over-prepare and research. Three, I know that the host is never, the show's never about me. It has to be about my guests and my panels because, you know, if, if I wanted to do that about me, I would just do my own thing. And finally, like I didn't send you guys questions because uh, people ask, and I, I don't believe in that because I think everything should be an organic chat because when you're talking to entrepreneurs and business people, so many times they just give these nuggets of knowledge that if you overthought it, they wouldn't come out. So saying that, and we're gonna start with you, Eileen, why are you good at what you do? Um, I think I have to toggle between dealing with a very sophisticated, intellectual, cerebral, target audience, right? The people that I have the privilege of selling to and consulting are chartered financial analysts, Kaya's, CFPs, MBAs. They have responsibility for managing millions, often billions of dollars. And that's people's hopes and dreams attached to that. So it is like a very, again, human job with a very technical um, forte that I have to interface with. And so you clearly have to be credible and well-researched and prepared for those meetings, but you can never lose sight of who the end audience is, which is somebody maybe with a pension, somebody who might, you know, potentially outlive their wealth, right? I think if you follow any of the studies, people are smoking less, they're drinking less, like all of that is we have really good healthcare. Um, I know people will complain about it, but we have better healthcare here than, than many other countries and longevity. Um, we've seen so many advances and breakthroughs. So people are living just so much longer. I think actuarial tables say that babies today are going to live to hundred years old. And the way the financial system is set up, you know, my grandparents had pensions. I'm 37. No one's giving me a pension unless I quit and go work, you know, as a teacher like Deb or go work for the government or become a police officer or a firefighter, right? So there's some very specific jobs where your retirement is taken care of for you. For the rest of us, it's personal responsibility. And that is a really hard, narrow line to walk around, um, you know, especially with social media and being able to see what everybody else is up to and keeping up with the Joneses. I think, you know, there's the, you only live once mentality. And then there's the plan for tomorrow mentality. And those are frequently in conflict. So um, it's really the balance between a very technical conversation with a very human element of uh, my clients, they're psychologists to their clients, right? They have to help people navigate through so many different types of life events. Um, many of them can be unexpected, right? An illness in the family, unemployment, um, things that take a toll on you emotionally, but also financially, but they're navigable, right? And that's why my clients get hired to help 
humanity navigate the reality of, of life, the good, the bad, and the unexpected. And I get to be a part of that consultation. And I recognize the privilege I have to be, to be part of that process and to be part of, again, that supply chain to make sure that I'm intimately familiar with the process my clients have, but also keeping in mind that the outcome is really about humans getting what they want out of life. So I think hopefully that understanding sets me apart. Okay, good. How about how about you, Deb? Why are you good at what you do? I think that I genuinely like people. So I like to learn about them, what they need, what what makes them tick. I, I enjoy that. So I think in that I create relationships with people that um, go beyond just that networking situation. And I'm also creative. So I enjoy all of the um, all the social media stuff. I do enjoy creating an ad or creating something that will be seen by other people. Okay. So. How about you, Linda? Why, why are you good at what you do? Because I've, I've dealt with you, and you are very good at what you do. And in fact, Joanne got business, did business with you. Why, why are you good at what you do? Deb stole my answer now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, um, I, I genuinely like and care about people, right? And I, in my career, I found that a lot of times there's a cookie cutter approach to marketing and it doesn't take into account the organizations or the company's individual needs and asking questions to learn about the target audience and, and their unique roles that are impactful to the business itself. And just asking a lot of questions and listening to the answers allows me to tap into that creative side because in my industry, there's literally a million items that can be branded with your company logo or message, but they're not all right for a, a specific industry or a specific audience. So again, listening to their stories and understanding their needs and their challenges, and then tapping into the creative side of stuff, that's always allowed me to take a vested interest in what I'm doing because I ultimately want my customers to be successful. If they're successful, then I'm going to be successful. They're going to have more need for me. Um, and I've always taken that to heart with every project that I've worked on is that I work on it as if it's my own project so that the results are what I would expect for myself. Um, so, the, and being detail oriented really helps. And that is a skill that I've been blessed and cursed with. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very good with details and dates. So that is very like, again, beneficial to my job. Okay. Now here's something, and I know, I know it's very important and I, I need to do it more, but when it comes to uh, charity work and, and volunteering and community, my wife does it a lot. So I think I take the card. Okay. She's doing enough to do it, but I have to do it. How important is it to you in your life? And if it's not important to you, that's fine. Cause some people, they don't, but how important, and I know you, Deb, you guys volunteer and do a lot of work, but what, what, how important is it to you and what do you get from that? Um, I, it's very important to, to me. I think with not teaching, it's a way to give back. And I just, I, I just love seeing the result of hard work and 
being able to give a charity something that will really help them help others. Okay, how about how about you, Linda? I think that we're all put here with certain gifts and talents, but we also have wounds and it's in those wounds and those vulnerabilities that we're often most able to help other people. And that charity work can reveal itself in many different ways. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's personal experience. Sometimes it's just giving someone a listening ear and time. Um, but giving back is a way that one, you can heal yourself, but it also helps people have hope. And I think that our world definitely needs a lot more hope. Okay, how about you, Eileen? Linda, I love that answer. That was like so beautiful. Wow. Um, mine is probably like a little bit more um, algorithmic. I got brought up Catholic. So time, talent, and treasure. You have limited everything, right? But you mentioned gifts, Linda. And I think when you can lend a hand because you have a certain expertise, um, you know, whether you're sitting on a board and you're investment geek like me, that can be meaningful, whether it's treasure, you know, if you don't have time to volunteer and show up, but it's a good cause, you know, you can go to the fundraising event, you can write a check, you can contribute stock, uh, low basis stock, you know, as, as a, that's one of those technical tricks of the trade. Um, and then your community, I, you know, it's literally the top of my LinkedIn profile. It says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And you made such a beautiful point that we're endowed with many gifts. And I think if you are having abundance in an area, you know, it is almost our duty and our obligation to be generous and to contribute and to find some way, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, um, to give back to the community. You also never know, to your point, when you're going to need it, when you're going to be the person um, on the receiving end. And I love what you said about lending an ear that just goes back to being like kind. You don't know what's going on in somebody else's world. So you don't have to be writing checks and at soup kitchens and um, to, to be charitable. I, I live in my car and uh, you know, I could be having road rage for 50% of the time, but I uh, try to give grace to the reality that we're all hustling um, to try to do what's best for our families, what our companies are asking of us. And I think just giving grace and lending an ear to somebody who uh, might be going through something, listening is really, that's the gift of time again. And I think that's a really great way to, uh, you know, if you don't have the means and resources to be philanthropic, if you can be nothing but kind, that, that goes a really long way. You know, I asked that question because I know all of you do are very involved because what I hate is sometimes I see people who just who sponsor stuff and do that stuff just for business and it's complete shallow bull crap and they sit there and you go you know come on you know but anyway uh, I want to ask you this day to day and be honest what challenges do you have day to day and how do you overcome them in either your personal life or business life? Because we all have challenges and people don't talk about it, but we all go through things. You know, it may be, you know, your challenge may be to sit there and go, oh my God, I don't want to eat a donut. You know, I mean, it could be something small, <laughs> but challenges like Linda, what challenges as, as a, a business person, what challenges do you have day to day? And, and how do you try to overcome that challenge? Time management is probably on the top of the list. It seems like 
everyone needs something yesterday and they don't plan ahead. So it's navigating supply chain issues, shipping delays, and um, ultimately the client's needs because their dates are not flexible, right? And figuring out how to stretch that same 24 hours that we all get to have a positive result. Um, I, I definitely need to remind myself and it's a it's a constant battle of work-life balance and I need to keep my personal life full so that I can give my work life and professional life the best that I am um so taking care of myself and taking breaks and walking the dogs and getting out and doing all that stuff that's definitely an, a, a constant struggle but also something that is very important to do how about you Eileen what, what's a, what's a day-to-day challenge you have then how do you overcome it so I have this weird approach called like winning the day. Um, my mom doesn't like that I say that, but Linda, you're stealing all the good stuff. Like you have your health, right? Which is like your greatest form of wealth. And that health is mental, physical, spiritual, fiscal. And it's hard to really crush every category every single day, because when you have to prioritize your family. Maybe you are leaving some extra work at five o'clock because you are going to dine with your partner, but the scheduling isn't done. So you're going to have to log back on at nine o'clock and eventually get the work done, right? Like we have these obligations to so many different stakeholders in our lives. So I agree that balance is my biggest challenge and, um, you know, kind of forgiving myself. And I, I think time blocking, again, you said time management, um, it all comes down to your priorities. And you mentioned clients and competing priorities between your obligations to your different stakeholders and their sense of urgency and their timeline and needing to respect that and deliver versus sometimes you can put yourself on the back burner, right? And you'll go a week without going to the gym or cooking a healthy meal for yourself. You just did takeout. Like that's not great for your body. That's not great for your wallet. Like, are you optimizing across all of those categories? And like, do you save time to get your head right? Um, and, you know, to give thanks for what you have. I think that is a constant struggle for anybody. Um, and so I just try to keep those categories top of mind. And as long as I'm kind of keeping those cups halfway full, I feel that I'm doing a good job. How about you, Deb? Because I know you, you know, because you just did that 75 hard. I, I couldn't even do, I couldn't even do like a, the 21 hard. I, I'm like, screw it. I, I, I'm like, too hard. I'm like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do two days. But no, but so how do you, what are some of your day-to-day -day challenges? Because that to me, that 75 hard would be a challenge, but that's like, a, it's mental. You have to be mentally tough to do that. And I'm mentally weak. But uh, what is, uh, what are some, what is the challenges that you come and how do you overcome them? Well, I think one of my biggest challenges is saying no. And me doing 75 hard is an example of that because Tim wanted to do it again. And I first said no. And then he talked me into it because he was like, oh, the wedding's coming. And, and I'm glad I did it. I'm always glad I do it. But when it comes, I'm always like, ah, no, I don't want to do it. So I, I think that's hard for me saying no, because if somebody needs help or somebody wants me to do something to support them, I want to do it. I want to help. I want to be there. I want to give my time. And sometimes when I do that, I do that so much that the stuff, the, the balance, I feel like both Eileen and Linda touched on this, that the balance is tough 
because then you're not taking care of yourself or what you need to take care of at home. Um, but it's hard because I do, I do, I genuinely, I guess my spirit is giving. I like to help and I like to be there for other people. Okay. So. Well, here's something I always like to ask when I have an all-female panel. And I like having an all-female <laughs> panels because I'm not going to tell the story again, but my mom was one of the first female marketing executives in 1952. Okay, so I always grew up with a strong you know, female, and she left to raise us, and she went back to work. Women in the work world, okay, I know it's 2023, and we're going to 2024, and in a perfect world, women in the work world should just be people in the work world, and they should be treated different. Unfortunately, we aren't in a perfect world, and I still think there's some Cro-Magnums out there, and for you, all of you in the in the, your working environment, do you feel it's getting better in the last few years for women or has it stayed a little stagnant because you know we all wanted it to be better but i'm i'm telling you i've seen some reactions of people some guys who are just assholes like i'm like no you know they no they're they're business people okay do you do you ever find challenges trying to get across to males because they don't still this day don't take women serious and we'll start with you eileen not at all i literally have like the most empathetic down to earth group of clients that might be ageism because I'm younger than a lot of the people I interface with. So most of the people I deal with have families, they have children, they have spouses. They might even be um, like that sandwich generation where they have caretaking responsibility for elderly parents. Like that luckily isn't my reality yet. Um, so I think I get so much grace and empathy in terms of like scheduling and I don't have a child yet. I really hope to someday. Um, but again, my business is so human. It's about people's lives. So I think um, I, I see nothing but good interactions. I can, I, I do work in a very male dominated business. Um, clearly I hope more females join financial services and rise in the ranks, but it can be a really demanding function. Like I have no desire to be a CEO. I, want to do my job and come home to my imaginary family someday. So I know my limits. That doesn't mean I don't want to hustle and do a great job financially in the function that I'm in. So like I'm imposing my own glass ceiling on myself based on my family's values and how I was raised. And I think there's a lot of discussion around that in the business. Like, Oh, what's I'm like, this is self-imposed. Like I know my, what my limits are. Um, so I consider the people who have elevated me are both male and female, the people who have promoted me, who have mentored me, who have advocated for me. A lot of them are, I consider big brothers. I have so many of those and I'm so, so grateful um, for the leadership and the examples that not just my father who's in the business set for me and prioritized our family over probably financial advancement at certain times was always present for all of my track meets and my swim meets made it home and had dinner every single night. Right. So I really credit that to my parents. And I think my clients, when I ask them, do you want to go to happy hour? Half of them tell me no, because they're going to go to their son's lacrosse game. That's a good reason to say no to me. Right. Like clearly I'm paid to hang out with you and I, I want to get on your calendar in some way, shape or form. And if it's over cheesesteak, egg rolls and a beer at Miller's Ale House, I'm in, but a lot of my clients have better things to do. Um, than to have that beer with me. So we, we do it during business hours. And I think the respect for women's schedules, especially coming out of the pandemic, when people live through a really challenging time, um, having young families, there's a lot more recognition and respect for scheduling 
um, especially getting on Zoom. I think the only thing I wish was a little bit different is just society's standards. Um, you know, just the expectation that, you know, depending on who the breadwinner is in a household, there is sometimes a requirement that you, you know, women are expected to do it all and we probably can't. So if we choose to outsource to a nanny or um, daycare, I mean, my mom would, you know, didn't raise me to put my kids in daycare, but I can tell you, I'm going to have to put my kids in daycare someday. So that's again, a family value decision. And I'm just going to, that's probably a generational thing too. We've most people are two income households now, especially with the cost of college and wanting to live in you know, a good school district, you need two incomes. So I think the standards for society need to catch up a little bit. Um, and maybe I just feel that because of the age group that I'm in, but I think that's the hardest part. It has nothing to, my industry has been, has made leaps and bounds and they're amazing. That's good to know. How, how about you, Deb? I mean, I've only been in this business world for a couple of years. I mean, teaching is, female dominated. So really I didn't experience it there at all. And, and luckily I haven't experienced at all in this role yet. Luckily. Hopefully you um, won't. No, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think, um, I think people in general, I think people are either good or not good. I don't think it's male versus female. I think it is more just people want to help you succeed or people want to push you down to seem like they're more successful. And I don't think that's a male, female thing. Hey, how about anymore. you, Linda? I think that it has improved. And that was actually one of the benefits and, and blessings that came out of the pandemic was that people's priorities were put back into perspective. And the importance of mental health also kind of took the spotlight and people are being looked at as humans and not necessarily male and female and that has carried over into certain rooms um i do think that it's kind of an age thing as well that if as more marketing um roles are being filled by a younger audience i think that that gap has become invisible that they're, you know, I'm just another marketing person. This is the expert. But if it's an older person making that the decision, my sex does come into play. I've, you know, in my career, unfortunately, I have lost projects because of my sex and I wasn't given the credibility that I deserve. But at the same time, it has significantly improved, especially in this post-pandemic world. It's funny you both brought you both uh, a lot of you brought up the generational and it is true because I come from I'm from the creepy old white guy demographic and I'm not <laughs> but there is I still see that and I I'm but I come from entertainment so it's different I don't notice it but I see that and I see that networking events and that's why I love groups like Nabo and there's so many women's events because there is still that old guy who's sitting there telling you know dirty jokes with his friends and going oh yeah check out that woman and we see it but the younger generation isn't like that and I really enjoy that and that will bring me my to next my next topic is networking Okay, what do you love about networking? And at the same time, what makes you a good networker? I'm gonna start with you, Deb, because you're out there a lot, you know, and you and Tim go out networking a lot so you can cover the whole room, which is brilliant. And I know, Linda, you did that with Chris too. You guys cover the whole room. But what makes you a good networker and why do you like networking? Because I've met you all through networking. Um, 
I don't necessarily think I'm a good networker. I think I'm a good talker. I think I like to talk to people, but I know ultimately the goal in networking is to create business relationships. And I haven't mastered that yet. I'm still new at the networking pretty much. And I like, I just like to talk and I, I don't, I don't have a goal in mind. People are like, oh, well, who do you want to meet? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't, I just meet who I meet. So I don't have that goal. I, that is one of my struggles. That was, should have been one of my things I said, because I definitely struggle with the intentional networking. I just enjoy talking to people. Well, for you though, also in your, in your, uh, what you do, anyone can use your business and that's, it's not like, you know, that's yes. the one thing also anyone could, any, everyone needs telephones. Everyone they needs, do. Uh, you know, everyone so that's the one tea. thing. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's the one thing. Now, Linda, that's why I met you. You're one of the first people. I remember meeting Linda at the hard rock, uh, chamber of commerce was years before the pandemic. The hard rock had just opened in Atlantic city. And I sat and me and Linda talk. Cause I didn't really know a lot of people there. And, uh, what do you love about networking and what makes you a good networker? Networking is not my superpower, but I like Deb, I do enjoy talking to people. Um, I'm much better in navigating smaller rooms, the larger crowds, it can get overwhelming at times. But once I start talking to people and asking questions, I do enjoy hearing their stories. And, you know, like Deb's business, my business, just about anyone can use my products and services. But when I go not with the intention of closing a sale or, or gaining their business, but to genuinely listen to their stories and to see if there's something that I can do to help, even if that's making a connection to someone else that I've met at a prior event, that ultimately makes the networking event more enjoyable, but also um, beneficial for whoever it is that I'm speaking to, as well as myself. Okay, how about you, Eileen? What makes you a good networker? I'm a really good networker, not to sound like arrogant, but like, that's like my best, like God given gift, drop me in a room of strangers. And especially if I need nothing from you, which in my function, I don't like, I don't need, I mean, I guess I could get something out of it. If I'm like, do you like your financial advisor? Want to put me in touch? I probably want to be their friend and have responsibility for having a professional relationship with them. Like, I guess I could do that, but like, I don't need that intro. There is just a mutual understanding in my business of they have a fiduciary responsibility to look at my solutions, no obligation to do business with me. So it's just like such a firm decades known infrastructure kind of relationship, um, institutionalized, so to speak, that when I network, I'm going there for fun, right? I just want to meet people who are smarter than me, who are in different businesses than me. Um, you know, when you've lived in multiple cities and like, you know, for your adult life, um, like I affiliate with New York, I affiliate with Philly now, I affiliate with Chicago, I affiliate with North Jersey, I affiliate with Ohio as a state because I went to college there. Like there's nobody you know, my sister lives in Boston. Like there's nobody, half my coworkers have moved to Florida. Um, I feel like there's nobody that I can't get along with. So it's just my natural personality. I am a hyper extrovert. I love making connections for other people to Deb's point. Most people are uh, like sometimes forced to network for business purposes. They don't have the same benefit of the understood supply chain 
that exists in the financial services industry. It's just so solidified. If you're an entrepreneur, you really need that warm intro. And having been an entrepreneur for two years, when I met you, Steve, Linda, and when I met Tim, Deb, I, I really needed help. I was in that position of need where if I didn't meet a guy or girl who was an entrepreneur who wasn't selling their business for multiple millions of dollars, like how, where do you find those people, right? So I really needed to network with bankers. I really needed to understand the mindset of entrepreneurs for the two years I was in my prior seat. Otherwise I couldn't succeed. And to be in that kind of position of need has given me so much more respect for the importance of good follow-up. So that's the other thing. Like, I don't carry a business card, but like, if I like you, I want to add you on Instagram and be your friend. I want to follow you on LinkedIn. I'll reshare your stuff if it's entertaining to me. And I think it aligns with my value system. Like I want to give back that way and help other people who are trying to be influencers elevate their personal brand. I think that's such low hanging fruit as a way to, to help somebody that you respect, who's got a message that they need to get out there. My message is to such a targeted audience. Most people are not my clients, but I want to be their friend and I want to see them be successful. So like, I just try to be a resource to anybody who I can. And the rest is just this amazing, magical socialization that just comes naturally to me that I just get such a rewarding kick out of. Okay. Now you mentioned LinkedIn and I always like this part of the show. So I always bring up LinkedIn and we all need LinkedIn and I, I like LinkedIn. I like social, I love social media. You know, I, I think LinkedIn's good because we meet people, we can get connections, but I always want to say, you know, there's always something that bothers me every week. Something bothers me about LinkedIn. And, uh, this week, what bothers me is people just constantly brag about themselves. Like people sit there. I had someone sit there and they go, oh, I'm an international podcaster. Hey, everyone's an international podcaster because there's something called the internet. You know, they're <laughs> can heard. I mean, my show I found out was popular. One episode was popular of my other podcast, Cooper Talk, in Finland. Uh, and then one in like Czechoslovakia. I'm like, what? But that's the thing that bothers me sometimes, the bragging. And, and there's one thing if you give yourself kudos. There's nothing wrong with that. Because if you do a good job and you want people to know it, you should get that across. Because one, it shows you credibility. But two, people go, hey, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Linda does really good work. You know, she she got this because she does good work. But that's what bothers me this week on LinkedIn. What bothers you about LinkedIn? I mean, there's got to be something. I know we everyone likes to say, oh, we love LinkedIn. And we do. <laughs> but, you know, I love my wife. But it bothers me that that she wants me to make the bed in the morning, even though when she comes home, she's going to remake it because I don't make it right. Okay. <laughs> that's just, and that bothers me about her, whatever. But uh, Linda, what bothers you about LinkedIn? Cause you're in there and you, you have pictures of the dogs and it's great. And the dogs have dresses and you got to love a dog <laughs> with a dress. It's just the way it is. But what bothers you about LinkedIn? You know, I think that LinkedIn in its true form is a, an online tool for networking, right? And and spreading word. It was never meant to be an outright advertisement. And I have people connecting with me and I'm willing to connect and, and learn about everyone because again, I genuinely care about their stories. However, once I'm connected and get in the immediate sales pitch, hey, I, you know, 
you'd be perfect for our services. Let's hop on that 10 minute call. You don't know anything other than my name and what I wrote in my profile. Or and most of the time, they're not even checking out my profile before they even send me a message. So I really don't like the outright sales approach. Get to know someone before you're selling them is it. Okay. How about, how about you, Eileen? Um, I guess my biggest complaint is I think it's like such an incredible tool. And I have like a compliance approved LinkedIn, which is like really, really important in my business to have um, because it is such an opportunistic place to build a personal brand. Um, I'm grateful to work for the firm that I work for, but I want people when they work with me to be working with Eileen first and foremost, because um, I'm going to be working for a lot longer because I'm only 37 and careers are long and I'm, I'm on my, my third home now. Um, so I wish there was more hours in the day for me to commit to benefiting from all the amazing tools and capacities that I could get out of LinkedIn. I just don't have time. I literally exist in my car. So I'm probably a criminal half the time when I'm liking Linda's posts or your posts from a stoplight. Um, like it's probably unsafe the amount that I spend on LinkedIn. And I still don't feel that it's enough. Um, to Linda's point though, all the people who add me or that I add, I don't need to be their friend. I'm not accepting your Facebook invite if you're not my friend. I want nothing to do with you on Facebook if I don't actually know you. I think that is super annoying. Like, stay away from me, you weirdos. <laughs> um, but I'll connect with anybody on LinkedIn because it's professional. And if you actually want time with me, again, there's no, it's a very small population of people who do my function. We live in our cars. I do not need to Zoom with you. If you have something to sell me, or you think I'm going to care about your charity, I'll talk to you for 10 minutes. I'm in the car, windshield time, sometimes six hours a day. I am happy to make 10 minutes to hear what you think I can do for you or what you think I should care about because I posted something. So I'm like willing to, I literally message people my phone number and I'm like, yo, text me. I'll listen to your pitch. I'm a salesperson. I get it. This is going to help you get credit like right. for your I quota. I, I got your back. Like, I, think I literally I'm, know the game. I think um, I'm like the only person. I'm not a buying unit though, right? Like, look at my profile. I'm not the COO. I'm not the chief technology officer. I probably cannot put money in your pocket. So probably don't waste your time on me. All right. That's why I think I'm the only person that really bitches about LinkedIn, even though I love it. Uh, <laughs> Deb, Deb, what is something you don't like about LinkedIn? I will go with Linda. I really don't like when if I've met you in passing, or if I, my name was on a list that I went to an event that I actually didn't go to, but you got my name and, and you messaged me and say, Hey, it was nice to meet you at that event. And I'm thinking I didn't go to that event, but you know, and then they pitch that they have the sales pitch. I don't, I don't like that at all about LinkedIn, but other than that, I, I don't really have any, any issues. God, <laughs> Just that, I, I that, tell you. I, I'm too high. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too high strung, man. I, a lot of shit pisses me off on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh my God, you're a self-proclaimed expert. Get out of here. Uh, so here's a question I ask, and, and maybe one of you will be like me. Maybe you won't. I always like, because people like to hear this. I like to find out if you've read it, and I don't read business books, so I always like the answer, but if someone, I'm waiting for someone to go, Steve, I don't read business books either. But if you read... <laughs> What's a business book that you've either read recently or in the past that has made an impact on you? You know, I always hear different answers. You know, people come up with different books. Like I said, 
The only one I've ever read was The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. It's the only book I've ever read. I don't, because I just, I think I try to read like the sales, Dale Carnegie when I was younger, or Cy Sperling, whatever. I don't know. There's like the 101 people, whatever. I don't know. I don't even know the titles. But is there, <laughs> is there a book you've read and uh, recently or in the past that has impacted you? We'll start with you, Eileen, because you seem like a reader. I am a reader. Yeah, I love reading it. Again, wish I had more time for it. Thank God for Audible and podcasts. Um, but I really, really love the book, um, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Um, I was unemployed briefly and it, you know, I had a severance. I had the best year in sales I'd ever had the year before. Um, but the toll it took on me mentally, because my job is so much my identity, which is probably unhealthy. Um, this book really helped me, um, at a time where, you know, I wasn't from an outsider's objective perspective, financially needy, but you know, the toll it took on me to, figure out whether I was going to reinvent myself or whether I was going to stay in my lane or whether I was going to take a risk and try the other side of this business. Um, it really um, offered me a lot of insights and almost emotional support um, where no, no person was really in a position to do that. Um, you know, you can go to your colleagues and your peers and your family for empathy, but nobody who's not you know, in that moment at that time can really understand you. They can listen to you vent. And I felt like this book made me feel seen and I recommend it to everybody because I just think we're all on this journey and there's going to be abundant times and there's going to be challenging times. So Morgan Housel, The Psychology of Money, I think my clients should make their clients read it. I think it should be required reading for everybody in high school because we all grow up with different economics conditions, right? And that's like, we have, we have populism in society politically because of that. So we should be forcing people to read this book in high school to get in touch with their own you know, reality. Okay. How, how about you, Deb? How about you, Deb? I would say I, I had to read a lot of those type of books um, with 75 Hard. I'm not a nonfiction reader at all. And with 75 Hard, it had to be one of those types of books. And I would say um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins was great. For me, I feel like watching him overcome so many obstacles to get to where he wanted to go. When I changed careers, it was difficult. I didn't really know the business world and didn't honestly want to at the time. So it was so different than education. So reading that book was helpful because he, he transformed himself many times. And I thought, if he can do all that, I, I can do this. <laughs> so I think a lot, a lot of those books, I loved Atomic Habits, that that was very helpful. Um, just seeing how one habit you change a little bit can change things for you was, was great. So those two, I think, stuck out to me. Okay, how about you, Linda? I'm not a big reader. Um, I, I'll listen to podcasts and, and audio books, but um, generally I don't pick up business books to read. If I'm reading a book, it's for enjoyment and entertainment. Uh, but there was, I don't know if we would necessarily categorize it as a business book, but there was a book called Perfectly Yourself by Matthew Kelly. 
that was so impactful in my life, which eventually carried over into my business. And it's about being true to yourself and being authentic. And I think that our world lacks authenticity for many reasons. And I think that you need to be comfortable with who yourself, you and yourself in business, in life, in personal relationships, for everything to kind of fall into place. And when you're trying to be something that you're not, whether it be to impress someone or to live up to someone else's standards, it ultimately is, it causes inner conflict and causes you to not be well physically, mentally, spiritually. And this book really um, emphasized the importance of being true to yourself and and sticking to that, especially when it's something that violates your own conscience in a workplace. That is definitely something that, you know, it, it was important to me, but that book was very impactful in my life. Okay. This is my final question. I always ask this question. Someone comes up to you. They can graduate high school, college, trade school, whatever, you know, they want to get started in the, in the business world and started, you know, really developing a career. Okay. As my mom would say, they're bright eyed and bushy tailed. Someone has that. They come up to you and they ask you for advice and they say, what can I do to figure this out? You know, what, 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 where should I start? What advice would you give them? And Deb, we'll do that because I know you have a daughter. So what, what advice would you give someone who comes up to you and says, help me figure this shit out. Let me, uh, you know, I'm, I want to build a career. I want to, I want to get focused. What would you tell them? I would tell them to find a really good mentor. There's a lot of good mentors out there. Um, and not, not a professional mentor, but somebody who has done it before. So I like with Tim, he built his business from nothing, literally nothing. Uh, we lived on credit cards for months, a year, you know, a long time. And I think going through it is the only way to, to know how to do it. So to find someone who's willing to help you each step of the way to get to where you want to be is, I think, the most valuable thing out there. Um, so I think I would say find, find a mentor, find a great mentor who has done what you want to do. Okay. How about you, Linda? I encourage my nieces and nephews and, and anyone that asks to not choose a career based on money because the money will fix itself. You need to work for a really long time. And like, you know, alluded to earlier, like our work life is extending to longer periods of time. If you're going to do something for 40, 50 years, you better like what you're doing. And it can't be just money driven and try it out, you know, learn from the mentors, learn from people that have been in the industry because no job is perfect. It's going to come with it's good and it's bad. And, and there are going to be good days and there's going to be bad days and you need something that's going to get you through those challenging times. And that's based off of, you know, passion and purpose and, and liking what you do and being good at what you do. Okay. And how about you, Eileen? So I have a framework. I do a lot of mentoring for, well, anybody who asks, because again, I'm very, very privileged um, to be in the position that I'm in and 
I'm alone in the car a lot, so it's easy to talk to me and I don't mind the company. Um, but Ikigai, A, I mean, I-K-I-G-A-I, if you end up wanting to Google it, but it's a framework um, for mapping out your life. And it's a Japanese term. Um, it's a reason for being. So to Linda's point, profession is what you're good at and what you can get paid for. But there's also the considerations of what you love and what the world needs. And I, you know, it's a lot of like students or people in their early twenties who are just kind of getting a start. Maybe they're in their first job and they're, they don't love what they're doing, but it's their meal ticket right now. And they want to figure out how to navigate it. So I'm the most impatient person in the world. I am, that is like a huge area of, uh, you know, improvement for me. Uh, everything is like not done fast enough. Maybe that's a North Jersey thing, but um, I have to coach myself on patience. So if ageism is a thing, then I think the next generation who got brought up with instantaneous Amazon and clicking to get what they want, they're probably even less patient than I am. So to Linda's point and Deb's point, you're going to be working for a really long time before you get to the promised land of your career where the money is optimal, where the functions you're doing day to day are optimal. Like it's just going to be a journey. So own that up front. And then take inventory of your values. And that comes back to how you were raised, right? Like really, how would you want your life to look? And then, you know, what role will that profession play versus what could be a vocation? What could be a mission? What could be a passion? And how do you make room for all of those things? So that when you look back, I'm very big into preaching. Like somebody told me during a talk, like, if you had to have your eulogy written, how would you want it to sound? And that was like the best advice when I got out, I was like 24. And I think if you can like live your life according to how you would want your eulogy to come out and you can kind of spend your time in ways that are meaningful, while also clearly keeping a roof over your head and providing for people who you're responsible for, if you become a parent um, or have other responsibilities uh, in society, I think that's good. So Ikigai is the great framework that I recommend to everybody. Okay. You know, for me, the eulogy, I just want to, I want, when I die at my funeral, I want a cover charge and a guest list. That's all I want. It's just not an escalate. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming on. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, give your info, if, whatever you can give out. Uh, Linda, how can people get in touch with you? So it's cfbpromotionalproducts.com. And the best is pick up the phone, give me a call. And the number is 856-513-6610. Eileen. Um, I live in Fishtown in Philadelphia. My cell phone number is 201-519-0988. Shoot me a text or find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'll be anybody's friend on LinkedIn. And if you want to follow along with all of my travel adventures, um, my Instagram is Eileen, E-I-L-E-E-N underscore Ward, W-A-R-D. Right. And how about you? How about you, Deb? Uh, my email is djennings at telecorpinc.com. And uh, the phone number there is 856-384-6000. So you can contact me either way. All right. And people, I want you to check out past episodes of The Coop Tank. Go rate it, look at it, you know, market it. You liked it and all. Put some comments up. You can go follow the uh, Coop Tank 
Just search the Coop Tank on YouTube. <laughs> also, you can email me, the Coop Tank at yahoo.com. If you want to advertise on my show, people sit there. The people who are on my show are business leaders. The people who watch my show and listen to the podcast version are business leaders. So if you want to get your brand out there and get to get in with some people that you might not want to get a chance to meet, hit me up at the Coop Tank at yahoo.com. Uh, November 9th, it's a Thursday at Splits in Mount Laurel, in Laurel Lanes, and Maple Shade in Laurel Lanes, it's Cocktails with Cooper. Come on out, it's a free event. We usually get like 25, 35, 40 people, have a few drinks, do some networking. And also, I think it's it's either November 17th or 18th, whatever that Saturday is, I'll be doing stand-up comedy at Pizzeria Uno in Hamilton, New Jersey, so come check that out. So I want to thank Joe Ganjami from Sweet Recording. Go check out their website, suitrecording.com. I'm Steve Cooper, and I will talk to you all next week. Have a great weekend. 